Kantaraj Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai Thai Gopamanandi Hari Hari Bo Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prasthaya Bhutale Srimati Bhakti Vedanta Shamini Namane Namaste Sarasati Deve Kauravani Pracharine Nirvisesa Sanyavari we're uh, reading from the first canto. And uh, third, first canto, third chapter, text 11. Shashtam Atre Apatyatam Pritaha Prapto Nasuyaya Ambikshikim Alakaya Pralada Dibhya Uchivan Shastamatre Rapatyatam Brito Prapta Nasuyaya Anvikshikimarakhaya Pralada Dibhya Uchivan Shastam Atrera Patyatam Brita Prapto Nasuyaya Anvikshikimalakhaya Pralada Dibhya Chuchivan Shashtamatrera Patyatvam Vita Prapto Nasuyaya Anvikshikim alakhaya Pralada divya uchivan
With meanings, Shashtam, the sixth one, Atre, of Atri, Apatyatam, sonship, Brataha, being prayed for, Praptaha, obtained, Anasuyaya, by Anasuya, Anvikshikim, Vikshik, on the subject of transcendence. Alarkaya, unto Alarka, Pralada Adibhyaha, unto Pralad and others. Uchivan spoke. Translation, the sixth, the sixth incarnation of the Purusha was the son of the sage Atri. He was born from the womb of Anusuya, who prayed for an incarnation. He spoke on the subject of transcendence to Alarka, Prahlad, and others, such as Yadu, Haihaya, etc., the Lord incarnated himself as Dattatreya, the son of Rishi Atri and Anusuya. The history of the birth of Dattatreya as an incarnation of the Lord is mentioned in the Brahmanda Purana in connection with the story of the devoted wife. It is said there that Anusuya, the wife of Rishi Atri, prayed before the Lord's Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva as follows. My lords, if you are pleased with me, and if you desire me to ask from you some sort of blessing, then I pray that you combine together to become my son. This was accepted by the Lord, and as Dadatreya, the Lord expounded the philosophy of the spirit soul and especially instructed Alarka, Prahlad, Yadu, Ahaya, etc. So, Datra means son, and Atri is Atri Rishi, so Datatre means the son of Atri. Simple, right? Datatre is referred to as a mystic yogi. Uh, he's uh, referred to as an impersonalist. In Chaitanya Charitamrita, his followers are referred to as non-believers, Pasandis which is all quite interesting. And it's also described that he was uh, he had a lot of influence on Yadu, in instructing Yadu. So Prabhupada says, he, like Kapila, he was also teaching Sankhya. And as we had discussed yesterday, this very interesting point, that we can see how the different incarnations come for different reasons. Ram has a different reason. It's okay, I have it set up here. Ram comes for a, a certain reason. All the different incarnations, not all, but different incarnations come for different reasons. Some come for the same, some come for something different. And Dadatreya, it's interesting, it says here he's a combination of Vishnu, Shiva, and Brahma, but elsewhere it says he's an expansion of Vishnu. And that Soma, his brother, was an expansion of Brahma, 
And Durvasa, his brother, is an expansion of Lord Shiva. So, in any case, um, he's an impersonalist. He's not a Mayavadi. But he's preaching the oneness. And he's an empowered incarnation, a Leela avatar. And it has a certain function, time-place function. So I think this just, uh, with every incarnation we read about, we, we get this, we get more clarity on the point we made yesterday, that time, place, circumstance. So why, why would Krishna expand himself? He's an expansion of Vishnu to preach impersonal philosophy. Interesting. So contextually, it has its value. And, it, and it's described here how he enlightened Yadu, Haihaya, Alarka, Prahlad, and others. So, you know, impersonal knowledge is not bad. And some devotees, they just have that rasa, santa rasa. Or, or they need that knowledge at that point in time. And then there are others who can speak other things. But that's what he spoke. Um, and it's interesting... And Prabhupada describes elsewhere that, and you find this often in Shastra, that devotees will pray for a son, that Krishna become their son, because they're in fraternal rasa, so that's natural. And you see that in different times and places. And Prabhupada says, you never see a devotee will pray, Krishna become my father. It's always Krishna become my son. Isn't it? Have you ever heard of a devotee praying, Krishna, I want you to come as my father, or in my next life you can be my father? That's a very Christian concept. And Prabhupada explains, and you can see this also in Christianity, he explains that why a devotee prays, Krishna, you come as my son, because the father and the mother are always giving completely to the son. But the, And that's why a devotee would never pray to Krishna, become my father, because then the relationship would be one of asking, which is so interesting because that's what Christianity is based on. The Father. So what do you do with the Father? My dear Father, give me, give me, give me. Yes. So, in the purport, Prabhupada makes a point, which I think is worth mentioning, discussing. Oh, actually, as a side point, um, Dadatreya was born from the tears of Atri. Uh, his wife, Anasuya, was impregnated with tears. Don't ask me to explain that. That's just information that you can digest as you like. So, here Prabhupada says this was the Anasuya, the wife of Atri, prayed, if you were pleased with me, and if you desire me to ask you some sort of blessing, this is what I pray for. So, this is interesting, and I think it's important. And Prabhupada also asked us to pray for him in this way. There's a reluctance. Like, am I qualified to ask? And even if I am, do you think I deserve this? Or do you want to give this to me? It wasn't like, here, this is what I want. And often we find devotees praying and they say, well, well, Krishna didn't give it to me. I'm losing faith. And you see here, what did Prabhupada say? First deserve, then desire. 
So the first thing she's saying, if you think I'm qualified, if you're pleased with me, in other words, if I'm deserving, and then, um, and if you want me to ask a blessing, that's how she's approaching it. Not like, this is what I want, you must come as my son. If you think I'm qualified, and if you allow me to ask a blessing, this is what I want. So, like, is this appropriate? If this is appropriate. And so the connotation is, if it's not appropriate, then don't give it. And please forgive me for asking. Isn't it? And so we saw that mood with Srila Prabhupada. When Prabhupada was sick, he did not ask us to pray for him. We asked if we could pray for him. And he said, well, if you pray, then you must ask Krishna. You must say, Krishna, please cure him if that's your desire. The Prabhupada added that. He made sure we would say that. Not, please cure him, but if it's your desire. So that's interesting, because a lot of times we're asked to pray for a devotee. Maybe a devotee has left his body, or they're leaving their body, or they're ill, or they're in difficulty, and we were asked to pray. It's nice to remember this, that we're praying, Krishna, if this is what you want. And this is what I'm praying for, if this is what you want, if this is appropriate. Because, you know, you have that story, uh, I think a boy who had, what? What did he have? He had some disease where he wasn't supposed to eat, and his brother fed him. And Prabhupada said that sometimes you're trying to do good and you do harm, because your intention is to do well. So we always want to understand Krishna's intention, because sometimes... Krishna's intention is for something to happen and we don't want to interfere with his intention. So we're always, if this is what you want. Maybe it's not what he wants. Maybe he wants to take this devotee back to Godhead. Right? How do we, so we don't always know. But so that, that is the mood. Now, Prabhupada said something amazing and maybe we need to discuss this because it's a little difficult to understand. He said if a devotee's starving, he won't ask Krishna for food. So, that's interesting and heavy. And so, what does it mean? Well, as we know, as Prabhupada said, a devotee is very reluctant to ask Krishna for anything because he just wants to give. So even he doesn't have food, which obviously he needs food to do service and say, Krishna, how can I serve you if you don't give me food? But still, there's a reluctance to ask. And then, interestingly, in the Gajendra Leela, the Gajendra Moksha Leela, Gajendra is he's stuck, literally and figuratively, and he doesn't know what to do to get out. And so he calls for Krishna, please help me, because he has no other recourse. The Prabhupada said there was a reluctance there, because you don't want to engage Krishna in your service, but now I'm stuck. This alligator, this crocodile's got me, and I can't get out. So what am I going to do? So in the purport, Prabhupada, you know, he, he talks about there and in other places how a devotee doesn't want to engage Krishna in his service. He said, but for the householder, sometimes he has to pray because he has to support a family. And he, he can't just say, I don't care. Because if he doesn't care, then you know, his wife and children don't get lunch. So he said sometimes um, because of the difficulties of maintaining household life, he'll pray to Krishna for help. But it's different also when we have service and we're praying to Krishna for help because it's directly for help in the service. So there's no 
There's no tinge of, I want this for myself. And so when you're praying for your family, there's some kind of tinge of, well, this is, you know, for their comfort and so on. At the same time, it's my duty, but there's reluctance, still reluctance. So it said, Gajendra was, he prayed because he had no choice, but he was reluctant. But if I'm praying to Krishna, please empower me, that's different because Prabhupada instructed me personally to pray to Krishna to give you empowerment to do your service. So that's different. So it's it's a direct connection because I'm, it's like Maternal says, can you get something for me at the store? Sure. Can I use your car? Because I don't have a car. And if I walk to the store, it's going to take like half a day. So so I'm asking to use his car, but it's for him. So then it's okay. It's okay, right? But if I just say, I, well, give me your car because I want to go, you know, watch some movie, then he'll be like, mm, let me think about it. What? <laughs> and we'll chant Japa during intermission, right? Not during the movie, right? And turn off said, I don't chant Japa when I watch a football game. I only chant during the commercials. I remember that. You remember that? The Japa workshop. Yeah. So, I had asked Prabhupada a question, and in his answer to the question, which was not exactly what I expected, but in his answer to the question, he said that you should always depend on Krishna and pray to Krishna to give you help to do your service. So that's a different kind of prayer. And, and prayer is a process of bhakti, so we have to learn how to pray and what's proper and what's improper. Correct? So it's not that we're not supposed to pray. But the point is, a devotee never wants to pray for anything personal. He only wants to pray for something that can help his service to Krishna. And if he's in a situation like Gajendra, where he has to pray for something personal, he's extremely reluctant. Like, he doesn't want to, but what am I going to do? I have no other choice. I don't know how to get out of this situation. So, Krishna, I'm praying. So... Um, that's what we learn from Anusuya. And then we also learn from Anusuya. Anusuya means not envious. And there's a harsh reality of envy. Everyone is envious in the material world. It's one of the, you know, we don't have to ask, do you have any envy? Because we know because we have a body, that's proof, right? And we're still here and we don't have love of Krishna. <laughs> well, that's proof, right? Isn't it? You don't, you don't need uh, to ask the question. Any of you ever experienced any envy? No, you have a body that, yeah, you have. <laughs> and you're not falling in ecstasy when you chant Hare Krishna. Yeah, you have. So, <laughs> so what does it mean? Well, The harsh reality is that if I'm envious of Krishna in any way, then I'm going to be envious of somebody else. Or or turn it around, if I'm envious of you, it means I still have envy of Krishna. Or turn it, flip it another way, if I don't have love of Krishna, I must have some envy. If I don't have prema, I must have some envy. So that's an unfortunate reality. So 
Envy is very real, and it's something we have to deal with. And it is one major obstacle, which is blocking our relationship with Krishna. As as envy would disturb any relationship, isn't it? So why why should we think in relation to Krishna it would be any different? Envy is a big it's a big roadblock to a relationship, isn't it? Even little smaller things like criticism and blame are destructive to relationships. And envy is like criticism on steroids. So if it's if it's toxic to a relationship in this world, what about our relationship with Krishna? Because he he's the one we're really envious of. And the envy that I have for you is just a reflection of my envy for him. So yes, it's a huge problem. But Prabhupada has given this amazing, amazing explanation of how to deal with envy. So... He said, if you envy someone, it would only be because you respect them, but you don't realize you respect them, because nobody's envious of people they don't respect. When was the last time you drove down, what's the highway over here? Is this Highway 10? 30. That goes east-west? Okay, 30, or you have 75, I forgot. Highway 30. When was the last time you drove down Highway 30 in the middle of August when it was 103 and you saw people working on the road and you said, I'm so envious of these people working on the road. Was there ever a time you ever said that? No, of course not. Because you wouldn't want to be in their position. So there's no question of envying them because they have nothing that you envy. When was the last time you envied a garbage collector, a a street sweeper? There was no last time. There was never a time. So Prabhupada is saying, you would only envy someone because they have what you want. So indirectly, you respect them. And he said, you just have to realize that. And when you realize that, you should serve them in realization that you respect them because they have what you want. It's just our anartha that we don't want them to have it and we would like to steal it from them. We're not even jealous Okay, I have what you I want what you have, but you can keep it also. Envy knock it up a notch. I want what you have and I don't want you to have it. I want to be the only one on the block that has it. So if you think about what Prabhupada said, you'll see it is hundred percent correct. That that anyone we envy is actually a person who's done something or has something which we want to do or have. Otherwise, why would we be envious? Of course, Sometimes devotees have come up to me and say, I'm envious of you, which I was taken aback by. But they said, no, I just, I just want to do what you're doing. Or I want to have something you have in a good way. I'm inspired by you. So that's, you could say transcendentally, that's acceptable. Because it's an inspiration. Envy is an inspiration in that sense. So, so then why is Prabhupada saying, if I'm envious of someone, I should serve them? Well, you can expand it, and he's Prabhupada saying, he's saying that what you experience emotionally is not what you should act out, but you should elevate it. So I'm envious of you. I'm envious of Paterna because he's so handsome, and I'm not. So, um, and and so that's just an emotional feeling. It's not even intellectualized. It's just 
This is how I feel. Oh, I see him. I go, oh. He's so handsome. I'm not. All the girls love him. They don't love me. So I'm, I'm feeling bad. I'm feeling, of course, we're just joking. I'm feeling bad. I'm, I'm feeling it. So what Prabhupada's saying, okay, this is what you feel. How do you elevate that? Because this feeling will degrade you. Your envy, your anger, whatever it is, is going to degrade you if it's not Krishna conscious, right? So Prabhupada's saying, so if you feel envy, recognize this is a person you respect, serve them, that will purify that feeling, and you'll get their blessing, their shakti, so that what what they have is what you'll be able to achieve because there's this positive connection now made between what they have and what you want, rather than a negative connection that you make by putting them down, because you're putting down the very thing that you want. Like, let's say, Nartam writes a book, and he said, like, one day he sells a hundred thousand books, you know. And I've had I've had books, you know, for years, and I can't sell more than a few thousand. It's like I hate Naratam. I hate you. So and that's normal. This is one of the reasons we hate people, because they do what we want to do, isn't it? You you see somebody doing something you want to do and they're doing it better than you, they have more followers, more money, you hate them. It's it's stupid. So, hatred and envy have no place in bhakti. So, we have to learn how to transform it, purify it. And if we don't, we're trapped again and again in the material world. So, Prabhupada's saying, saying, look, Naratam sold 100,000 books. You also want to be a successful author. Don't hate successful authors, because if you want to be a successful author and you hate successful authors, you just brought this extreme amount of negativity on the very thing you want to do. It doesn't make sense. And in order to purify yourself of this hatred, serve him, help him, help him get his books, sell more, sell his books, help him, do something. It's so counterintuitive, but it's the only solution. Because it totally purifies it, because it's 180 degrees, the opposite. And it's counterintuitive, because nobody would do that. Right? And that's and you can see it's the very thing that you have to do to purify yourself. It's the very thing you would never do. Because you hate them. That's and that's the only way to purify yourself of hate. That's the reason. Isn't it? And if you're meant to be successful No, here here's the point. Here's the point. I thank you for saying that, because here's the point. You never compromise your Krishna consciousness. You never compromise your consciousness. You never compromise your virtues in order to outdo someone or uh, order to outdo someone or achieve something. You always act in a Krishna conscious way, in a detached way, and let Krishna give results. So if, if I'm meant to be, uh, sell a hundred thousand or a million or ten million, I'm not going to compromise my principles in order to do that, like tell everybody how bad your book is and how you should buy my book or, you know, write bad reviews on, on Amazon and, and, and say, oh, Naratam, that was just, you know, one-off luck. You know, actually, he's a loser, you know. And Krishna just, like, felt sorry for him, you know. These are the typical things you would do or someone would do, isn't it? And, and so... A devotee has to have integrity with 
his character and Krishna conscious actions. And as soon as I hate you, I'm out of integrity because a devotee should not hate anybody. Correct? Doesn't doesn't matter what you do, I should never hate you. Even if you try to attack me, I still shouldn't hate you. I, should, I can hate what you did, but I shouldn't hate you. That's Vaishnavism. So if I find myself in this position where I'm hating you, I have to elevate, take that emotion which is conditioned and elevate it. And how do I elevate it? By acting in a Krishna conscious way. It's the only way. Because now I'm out of integrity with Krishna consciousness because I became jealous of your success. Isn't it? And that threw me off and now I'm not acting in Krishna consciousness. I'm trying to subdue you. I'm telling everybody, really, your book is really bad, etc., etc. And um, so we see Krishna has revealed to us. I mean, Krishna has done amazing things with the Internet because he's revealed like the inner toxicity of people's hearts because now... You know, it's so easy to just splat it out because you're not talking to the person. You're just writing to your computer. And that's much easier than actually having to deal with people. And so now we see that conditioned nature, not only amongst non-devotees, but devotees. And so we're not denying the conditioned nature. Prabhupada's not denying the conditioned nature. But he's saying you have to learn how to elevate it. And if you don't, it's just going to overtake you because we're conditioned. There are so many things that upset us, isn't it? I mean, make a list of all the things that upset you last year. You know, it'll probably take you three days. Isn't it? I mean, think about everything that upset the guy who cut you off when the weather wasn't good, the 400,000 things your wife said that you didn't like, you know. Isn't it? So, you know, Prabhupada's not denying that, but he's teaching us that, okay, your condition, that's normal, but don't act it out. Act in Krishna consciousness. And a lot of us act it out, isn't it? This is how I feel, this is what I say, this is what I do. No, this is what you feel, but act in Krishna consciousness. What is the Krishna conscious thing to do? And will we, will we be tempted to act out of Krishna consciousness? Oh yeah, all the time. We'll always be tempted, isn't it? You ever read something on the internet and some, someone's saying something that, that's obnoxious? And you just, you know, you're about ready to type something. You go, I better not because what I say, I'm probably going to regret having said it you know, because I will, I will totally destroy this person. And um, it's not really what I should do. Have you ever felt like that? As I always say, if you're in an emotional state when you send, write an email, do not hit the send now button. Hit the send later button and read it tomorrow. And when you read it tomorrow, there's a 101% chance you will want to edit it, isn't it? Because in a highly emotional state, our intelligence is, is damaged. We don't think clearly. And this is statistically proven, that um, leaders who are not emotionally controlled are horrible. They make horrible decisions because it's all based on emotion. They're, they're not successful leaders. Not successful anybody's. So... Um, so Prabhupada's teaching us, okay, your conditioned soul, we can't change that overnight, but what you do and what you feel don't have to be the same. And so by saying you should respect someone you're envious of, Prabhupada's giving you 
a, a, a system to upgrade your envy. There's systems to upgrade everything, like anger. I, I was just some somehow or other. The last week, I ended up talking to a yoga teacher that's very much into Indian philosophy, and and listening to a a, a spiritual teacher, and they both talked about anger. And I asked this lady, I was. I met this lady, and she said, I used to be very angry. She said, now I do yoga, I meditate. And I, so I said, well, so how did you overcome your anger? Was it that you found what was triggering, triggering the anger and healed that? She said, no, I just gave it up. I just let it go. And this other spiritual teacher, he was having a conversation with someone with, about anger. And, he's, and the person was saying, well, you have to find the triggers and this and that. And he said, no, you just have to let it go. So that's interesting. You know? What are you supposed to do with your anger? You either use it for Krishna or let it go. What are the other choices? Right? And if most of the time, it's not usable. It's destructive, isn't it? So, Prabhupada is just teaching us that you, a, a Vaishnava has, has a certain behavior, and that behavior has to be maintained no matter what's going on, no matter how you feel. And so all, you may sometimes feel not like acting in a different way, so we have to learn how to detach from those emotions so we can act with intelligence and act virtuously. And if we don't, then everyone in the world is envious, and, you know, we, yeah, anyway, you all know this, it's obvious. Envy and lust and greed and jealousy and anger and all these great things which control us. This is also explained by Pantanjali. He says something similar. He said, whatever you want to overcome, do the opposite. Just do a 180 degree opposite. So he said, if you're envious of someone, become their well-wisher. Because that it couldn't get any more opposite than that, right? Pretty much here's the continuum. Here's envy, I'll do it this way, envy on the top, or envy on the bottom, well-wisher, you know, a, a stream of consciousness from envy to well-wisher. So, so the whole idea is whatever you're experiencing emotionally, go to the top, the opposite, and act on that, and it nullifies it. A lot of times devotees will ask me, they'll say, this is the situation, what should I do? And... I find the question interesting from a philosophical perspective because is there something new to do or something different than you've learned already? Like, like the question is, okay, this person was very nasty to me. What should I do? And I joke with him. I say, oh, definitely you should punch them in the face because that's like the connotation of what they're asking. You know, is it okay to punch back? Isn't it? Like, what should I do? What do you mean, what should you do? You haven't read Bhagavad Gita? What does Bhagavad Gita say to you? Yeah, I know what Bhagavad Gita says to do, but this situation. No, this is just a situation. No different than every situation Krishna is talking about. It's just you think you have a right to not follow Bhagavad Gita because this guy's nasty. No, you don't have that right. That's implicit in the question, what should I do? What should I do? Be nice, be equal poised, be kind. Be humble, be respectful. What are you supposed to do? Oh, okay, if he if someone's attacking a devotee, yeah, 
attack them, for sure. Prabhupada said, yeah, that's what we must do. I was reading a conversation yesterday, and devotees were, were talking about what are we going to do about all the devotees that are being attacked on the Internet with made-up stories and lies. And the devotee and devotees saying, it's our duty to protect them by explaining the truth. And no, it's not like that. This is how it is. So that's always there. For ourselves, we never want to defend ourselves, but for others, we protect them. So for ourselves, Prabhupada said, if someone attacks you physically, don't defend yourself. If someone attacks you verbally, don't defend yourself. If someone offends another devotee, become a lion and defend that devotee. Interesting, right? So that means always we have this this instruction. We always have to act as Krishna has told us to act. And the only time we can step out of that parameter is when we protect devotees. And Prabhupada said, Trinata Pisunichina does not apply when a devotee is being attacked. He said, throw that one out. You can take it back later after you take care of it. You have to protect the devotees, and you have to protect devotees who are being verbally abused as well. So, I find this this topic and this question of what should I do in this situation so interesting because I get it everywhere I go. And I was like, why are you asking that question? You don't know how a devotee acts? You think you have a right to not act like a devotee because this person was nasty? No, you don't. Sorry. You don't. You, you, know, you have a right to detach from that person. You have a right not to interact with that person if it's toxic. You, you, you don't. But you have a right to descend into the mode of ignorance just because they're in the mode of ignorance. That's basically what it is. Prabhu, I have a question. This person is the mode of ignorance. Is it okay if I also descend into the mode of ignorance to deal with them? No. No, you have to stay sattva. That's the only way to deal with it. Two people in the mode of ignorance don't make a good match. So now after class, all the devotees are going to be going up to one another and saying, Oh, Prabhu, I respect you so much. Can I serve you? And they're going, yeah, right. You're envious of me, right? That's the way you're doing it. <laughs> so wait a few days before you do that. This is too soon. Okay. So you have any questions or comments? Mr. Hari. Yeah. Okay. Well. Cool. Yeah, because they don't want to be spoken. They don't want to be spoken to, or well, you know, one thought is because, for example, let's say I have um, you offended me, and I told you I forgive you, and and then you say, "What are you forgiving me for? I never did anything." So then it it creates a problem. So I have to realize that it's more my problem. You may have done nothing. It's just my perception. So it may be inappropriate then to say I forgive you, but internally I just have to let that concept go that I thought you did something to harm me. And maybe it doesn't go beyond that. So you would have to evaluate by situation the best. You at least on... 
Yeah, you, I think I think if I think if we go back to what Prabhupada said and recognize that I respect them and and try to develop that respect inside. And it seems like it would be better if you could do it physically. Yeah, or even verbally say. Then it gets sticky because by saying I respect you, it's like, why did you say that? <laughs> like, did you not respect me last week? Um, I, I guess it'll be up to the individual how they feel it's best. But I, um, I remember that we were instructed long ago, maybe in 1971, that Prabhupada said, when you offer obeisances in the morning, you should say, my dear devotees, if I've offended you. You're, just, you're not broadcasting this anywhere. You're just saying this to the floor, basically. My dear devotees, if I've ever if I've offended you in any way, knowingly unknowingly, please forgive me. So it's it's like nobody hears that, but you've done it, and so Krishna hears it, and you've done it. So I think that's important. And there's a lot. Of, uh, I've I've had personal experience that if I just change my attitude towards a person. It kind of solves all those problems, whatever anger there was there, or whatever hatred, jealousy, envy, or anything that's not pure that was there. If I just appreciate them for who they are and what they're doing and respect them, it, it all dissolves it in my own heart. So I think that's important to understand how you dissolve it, even without contacting the person personally. Yes. We have a descendant from Vaikuntha who wants to make a comment. How they're feeling? They responded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, as my wife says, behind every criticism is a need, an unmet need. And one writer said, everyone either wants, every action is an act for wanting love or giving love. Yeah, we're all suffering. That's for sure. And she said, so now, so many devotees, they want to take two uh, giwiks because they're offering their prayers to Lord Dharmadar for someone. Oh, and um, so, you know, you were speaking about an individual's prayer to the Lord, but when some someone else is praying on behalf of someone else, still you're approaching the Lord and saying, "Please protect this devotee that may be ill mm-hmm. or that may be be in a calamitous situation, so that they may continue in their service yeah. to you." Is that proper? Is that okay? Yeah. 
If you so as, long, as long as you're sure that's what that's the best. <laughs> that's what the best. I mean, my point was we just we have to be slightly cautious to know is this what Krishna wants. Right. So it's like you, so it's like we pray for Prabhupada if this is what you want. In the end, how, how yeah. was it? I so mean, I'm, I'm praying. Was praying like anything. Please save Prabhupada. Yeah. Wasn't it? Well, Krishna, yeah. please save Prabhupada because, and then he well, said to his god brothers, just see when, when he wanted yeah. to go on parikram, just see how well, much they love me. The, the prayer was, and Prabhupada gave the prayer, my dear Lord Krishna, if you so desire, please cure Prabhupada. So I think that's, it's important to, of course, we, we want it. But we don't know what Krishna, I want this. I pray that you want it if you want it. Right. Um, you know, it's like when we lived in Mayapur, we would do the Shringa Pujas for devotees in difficult situations. Actually, just said she would do, she said she's there, she said she would do one for us. So, we want to pray for the protection of all the devotees and their difficulties and so forth. Yes. Narutam. Narutam. Thank you for another wonderful class. Um, you know, my question has to do with, you know, we were talking about, well, if I'm envious of someone else, that's indicative of my envy of Krishna. So, you know, my question was, okay, if my relationships are off with others, you know, if I'm like, if I'm envious of others, and that's in, in, indicating my uh, um, relationship with Krishna is off. So if I resolve my relationship with Krishna, will all my other relationships become good? I think it works the other way around. You can't resolve it unless you resolve it, those relationships. And here's the good and bad news. When you go, when you go back to Godhead, it's only going to be devotees. So I hope you like devotees. Otherwise, if I were you, I wouldn't go there. If you don't, if you haven't got it together with devotees, you know how. So, um, philosophically, the answer is you have to get it together with devotees before you can get it together with Krishna, because Krishna's not going to. He, Krishna's going to go. You're trying to love me. You know, it's like you're loving your father and you hate all your brothers, and your father's like, "What are you talking about? You know, you're telling me you love me, and you're." you know, harming your brothers. I don't believe you love me. I can't accept that. There is a very, very heavy verse in Chaitanya Bhagavat where Mahaprabhu is talking about people who are blaspheming devotees and he said, when these people chant Hare Krishna, it feels like burning cinders on my body. They're throwing, each mantra is like throwing a burning cinder on my body. So, you know, for us, as disciples of Prabhupada, our feeling was always, if I can just please Prabhupada, then that's the only way Krishna's ever going to go, okay, you know, I'll look at you, you know, you're okay, because you pleased my dear most. You know, that's how we thought we thought. Otherwise, Prabhupada said, he said, the Maha Mantra means, one of the meanings is, Krishna, please accept me. But in a lecture, he said, we have no right to ask Krishna to accept us. Because of what we did, you know, it's like, it's like, let's say I, you know, I cheated on my wife a hundred times last year, and I'm saying, 
please accept me. And she'll say, you have no right to ask that. Look what you did. So Prabhupada's saying the same thing. He said, but I have faith in the mercy of my guru and he will put in a good word for me and Krishna will accept me. There's that statement of Srila Prabhupada where he says, um, I am Krishna and you, I, I am Krishna's yes. property. I am Krishna's and you are mine, therefore you are Krishna's. Right? Say that again. I am Krishna's meaning him. Prabhupada is saying that he is Krishna's property, like yeah. he is Krishna's man, Krishna. devotee, right? Yeah. And he says, and you are mine. Oh, so therefore you're Krishna. Therefore okay. you are yeah, Krishna. Yeah, that's our, that's our hope. If, you know, what is our philosophy? If senior Vaishnava blesses you, everything is good. If you lose those blessings, you, there's no way you can make advancement. You can chant a million rounds. It's not going to help unless we have the blessings of the senior Vaishnavas. And it's just amazing how people so freely commit offenses, like like no understanding. And then people say, oh, but Prabhu, they're committing offenses, but still they're chanting. Yeah, their chanting is throwing cinder blocks on Lord Chaitanya. That's what's going on. Yeah. You know, and they say, but no, but they're devotees. No, devotees don't offend. They're not devotees. It just looks like it, but they're not. How can you say they're devotees? Because devotees don't do those things. I was in, I was giving class. <laughs> the devotee said, what about devotees who have abortion? I'm like, what? Yes, the devotees are having abortion. They said it's okay. It's like, it's like no, devotees don't have abortion. What? Devotees have abortion? No, devotees don't have abortion. Those aren't devotees. So we have to, you know, we have to see it that way. You know, like Prabhupada said, devotee is a big word. I'm a devotee, you know. No, devotee. I was, I was there. Prabhupada said, if you're envious, if you're jealous, you're in the material world. So what does that mean? If you're in the material world, not a devotee. If you're not envious, you're not jealous, you're in the spiritual world. So we're trying to become devotees, right? We're trying to get there. So it, it just amazes me how freely some devotees are with their words of criticism and blame and chastity. You know, of people that are so dear to Prabhupada, who've done given their lives a million times over to Prabhupada, it amazes me uh, how bad this world is, how much envy exists in this world. And so, at least we don't want to be, we don't want to reciprocate with that envy. We have to be better. Yes. Yeah, that that was my question about um, when, as you were speaking just now, that it seems. There's this tendency or there's this reaction that comes if you evaluate someone. You know, I realize that, you know, Rupa Goswami is giving us the condition, the Madhyamuttama. He's giving us a, a, a system where we're judging each other. You know, <laughs> no, really. I mean, you know, that's judging, right? You're a Kanishta, you're a Madhyam, you're an Uttama. But, but at the same time, uh, wait, you know, wait, wait, wait. I've I've wait. seen. Okay, go ahead. If you're, <laughs> but if you're actually Krishna conscious, your only judgment is I'm Kanishta. Everyone else is Uttama. So we're like, oh, is Nartama Kanishta or an Uttama? Uh, he he didn't come to Mangalarti. He's definitely Kanishta. You know, and so that that's like going to get me in trouble. He's definitely asleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, 
Yeah. I was at Art Mangalarji and he wasn't, so that I'm, I'm, I'm at least... Sorry, I missed it. I'm at least Uttama to him. You know, um, I don't think that's what we're supposed to be doing. Um, we're supposed to, this is how we're supposed to be thinking. And this sounds sarcastic, but I, I don't mean it to be sarcastic. And I've just brought that up, not to embarrass you, but just... We're supposed to be thinking... I was at Mangalarti because I'm so fallen. If I don't go to Mangalarti, I'll never be Krishna conscious. Others are more Krishna conscious, so it doesn't matter. If they don't come, it's not a problem for them. It's a problem for me. That's how we're supposed to be thinking. So in light of who's Kanishna Madhyam and Uttama, if we don't have that basis of humility, it's going to be a total mess when we start making those judgments. Isn't it? I had a, a temple president, you know, in Naveen Krishna Prabhu, he used to be here. So when I was a brahmachari, if he came in, he would come in just before Mangalartik, and if he didn't see I was here or others weren't here, he'd come and wake us up. I thought it was really nice of him, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I felt like uh, he was being so kind to do that. Yeah, loving, yeah. You know, like he didn't just uh, he didn't just uh, make that I, I, that call. Like, well, you know, they're more advanced than I am. Well, also, I mean, yeah, he acted yeah, on it, and it, yeah. it, I felt yeah, that's good love from him. The, the other thing is, kanishta means beginning, madhya means middle, and uttama means top. So, a new devotee may be kanishta in relation to you, so you help him. No, he's beginning, he's Kanishta. Not necessarily Kanishta Adhikari, but he's Kanishta, he's beginning. And I've been around here for 30, 40 years. So I'm Madhyam to his Kanishta, so I'm supposed to help him. And here's so-and-so Prabhu, he's been around 50 years. So he's Uttama to me, so I should, you know, so that, it's not just this classification that, you know, Uttama's, you know, doesn't commit offense. The, um, you know the story? Pradyumna was sitting with Prabhupada and Darshan and, and one devotee sat in front of him to hear Prabhupada. And, and Prabhupada said, you cannot sit in front of him. He's your senior godbrother. He was initiated before you. You have to sit behind him. So there's an etiquette there, which, you know, obviously we don't follow exactly or we don't know about, but that's there also, you know, when you're considering Uttama Kanish. It just means higher, middle, lower. Not necessarily the exact qualifications of Shastra all the time. You know, okay. Is he Uttama? Does he have any envy? I mean, you know, I got my qualification list out here. Not, I, you know, that could be problematic. Uh, not, that's could, what I was asking. Could, you know? Not could be. It has been. <laughs> and um, religions are notorious for being judgmental. And if we're not careful, we'll be also in the league of judgmental religions. And so, of course, people say, but you have to make judgments. Yes, it's true. But make them from Satvaguna. Don't make them from Tamaguna. Make judgments, like you say, that are based on compassion, understanding, not that I'm better than you. You know, like, if you say I did something wrong or said something wrong in class, it doesn't mean you think you're better than me. It's just say, I don't think that was correct and we discuss it. And so you're humbly presenting it. You know, that's... But what we see on the internet is often devoid of any any quality of humility and full of tamaguna, attack, vicious attacks. 
There's no place for that in the heart of a Vaishnava. It doesn't exist in a Vaishnava's heart. And it attracts other people of that same tamagun quality. And that's not what Prabhupada came. Prabhupada did not come to America to create that stuff. Definitely not. He, he came to America to create a, unify, a society of mature people who could resolve issues in Sattva Guna. Because you're not going to resolve them in another Guna. Just gonna, you're just going to create factions and more and more people will leave this gone with that kind of, you know, kata. You know, your kata is so potent, you've, you've turned so many people away from ISKCON. Congratulations. And they're like, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. And that's going to please Prabhupada? It's in, insane, right? It's hard for us who were with Prabhupada. We know 108% that is not pleasing to him. It never was and it never will be. That's so beautiful. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that answer. Prabhupada hated it when his devotees were being criticized by others. He'd always say, just do better. Stop criticizing. Hare Krishna. Uh, I was listening uh, yesterday. I wasn't able to be here uh-huh. in the temple. And I really wanted to ask something. to. Okay. Something I really kind of struggle with. I have a hard time uh, understanding. You were talking about uh, preaching and, uh, you know, like what's watering it down and what's acceptable. And uh, it seemed like I got a really strong message (laughs) as a young devotee uh, about these things. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem to be the message more what you see today. So. So the question is, which one is better? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I'm really confused about it, to be uh, honest with you. I was just reading somebody had said something yesterday. I forget the context. Um, Oh, yeah, this devotee said, yeah. (laughs) He wrote me a letter. He says, I don't compromise. I preach. I tell people if they're sinful, they're going to hell. Well, that's a little obvious. <laughs> Interesting. So, um, I don't think we can argue with the principles that results, you know, results say everything. When, whenever devotees give have... give you an example and you... Because to me it makes it really... Yeah. Well, I, I'll give you a, a... It's a beautiful story of Gunnar Grimrush. He met a guy and, you know, sometimes you meet people and you know, this person's a devotee. If they would just stay with us... They would realize they were devotees. So this person was a painter. And so Mara said, could you come and paint our prasadam room? It needs painting. And Maharaj made sure that he would stay late. And he told them, we need this done. You know, it's like an emergency. We need it done. You can't go home early. So he'd stay so late. And Maharaj would say, well, why don't you just stay over? Because it's late. So that became a pattern. And the person painted for about a week. And then the person, you know, he was a devotee at the end of the week. But the, but the funny thing was, the room didn't need painting. Maharaj created that to get him to the temple. Because he knew that's how he would get him. So, was that right or wrong or dishonest or what? No, the person became a devotee and that's what was required. So, there's millions of ways to preach, for sure. Let us judge by the result. Now there's a story. They had this transcendental road show. And then Prabhupada was informed 
that the actors backstage, male and female, they were costume changing together and all lovey-dovey and hoochie-coochie. And, and Prabhupada just, well, maybe not so hoochie-coochie, but, but, you know, changing in the same... And Prabhupada just stopped the whole thing. He said, forget it. And it was a very successful program, but he stopped it. He sent your Guru Maharaj to China. It's, you know, that damaged book distribution. It's like a Prabhupada had principles. So you have all sides, you know, to maintain a principle, we'll let the preaching crash. And what we said yesterday with plain clothes, Prabhupada said immediately, wear plain clothes because book distribution would have been 50% less. So, you know, every situation is different. What about mixing ourselves with other groups? You know, then it, it's kind of like saying that we agree with them. Maybe, maybe not. It, it depends how you mix. Because this is a problem. Because if you look at the world today, you see there's so many people that share our values, at least certain values that we have, in protecting the earth, or simple living, or in sattvic living and yoga, you know. So, to not have some connection with them seems to be a mistake. And traditionally, our preaching was always within certain groups. It was the hippies, or the straight edge, or this. There was always a group that was, you know, shared our values. So, it's just, a, it's all a question of how you do it. And, there's another point, which is important. Prabhupada writes in the Bhagavatam, or CC, that when Nitananda Prabhu saved Jagai Madai, he was able to do that, but nobody should try to do something they can't do. So if you think, I'm going to the lowest part of Dallas today, and I'm going to find in the lowest part of Dallas the lowest person in the lowest part, and that person I'm going to preach to, and I'm going to prove to all these homeless people and jobless people and low-income people that Krishna consciousness is for you by saving this person. Okay, that's a good idea. But can you save that person? Or will you end up homeless in three days and living with them, drinking beer? That was Prabhupada's point. So I think it's going to depend on the individual, what your capability is, and it's also going to depend on your nature. You know, it's like, it seems like you're expressing, like, concern that will water it down. So maybe for you, what you're most comfortable with is just, you know, at the temple, Sunday feast lecture, just... You know, this is what Prabhupada taught, just straight, everybody can digest it, or Bhagavatam classes, just straight. But maybe going to a yoga studio makes you uncomfortable because you feel like, oh, I have to, you know, be wishy-washy, and it's not my nature. That's fine. Then someone else can do that. And so we'll all excel in different areas according to what we want to do. I've, I've been engaged in preaching sometimes in companies, and... It's a very compromised position. I don't like it. Other people like it. They somehow they thrive in those environments, big audiences, and talking about all kinds of things. So we're all different. I don't think I don't think there's the right or wrong answer. There's just we're different people, and 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 I think what's important is that, let's say you say I don't want to preach in yoga studios because you know they want me to chant Durga and Shiva and I'm not going to do it and they. You know, they want me to talk about things like, you know, that are, 
controlling the mind, but I can't mention God, so what's the point of controlling the mind? And if I can't mention God, I don't want to talk about it. And Naratam is like, no, I love preaching to those people. I, you know, I've read Pantanjali, you know, 74 different translations. I got this whole mind thing down. They love it, you know, and then they come to the temple and we talk and they take prasadam and then they chant, you know. So, so you might say, I can't do that. And he's, no, I love to do this. So you both do what you do. And then it's, it's okay. I'm not, and, and I think the only thing that would not be okay is that I, that he criticizes you because you don't want to do that or you criticize him for being wishy-washy. Well, that's what I find. I, I, I mean, I have the same thought in my mind that I just can't relate to that. You know, I, I don't really want to be part of it because I, yeah. But then they, you know, it's, it's, argue that i'm i'm wrong i'm you know uh... well i think that i this is my feeling on it of having these kinds of discussions and seeing the criticism we have to respect the intelligence of a preacher that he knows what he's doing and you know and so according to his ability and nature he knows what's best and i you know so if you if you want to tell everybody they're going to hell I may not think that's the best way to preach, but you might say, no, I've had great success. You know, with this group of people, this is actually what they want to hear. They want to be chastised. You know, you go to India, the gurus speak and they chastise everybody. They scream at them. The gurus slap their disciples' faces. We look at that and go, what? This is insane. And the people are like, oh, that was so good that he chastised me. I really needed that. You do that here. Everyone's, you know, you'll have a lawsuit the next day, you know, abuse. Your disciples will leave you, you know, because you told them they did something wrong. So, you know, <laughs> we're dealing in different realities. And if you're a brimstone, hell and brimstone preacher, you'll attract people who, who need to hear that. And if he's, you know, a Pantanjali preacher, he'll attract those people. And you'll both be sitting on Sunday with your whole group of people who are totally different. And so it's good that you're this way, and it's good that he's this way, because you attract those different groups of people. And as long as you respect one another, it works. As soon as we stop respecting one another, thinking, oh, you know, what's wrong with you, you know? This is 2009. This is 2019. It's not 1971. Why are you preaching like that? And and yeah, and, and and as long as you don't tell him, like, you're just a, you know, a, a waffle, flake, you know? You know, nowhere's land, you know, mystical hodgepodge, you know, Kitri, and, you know, why are you preaching that way? Prabhupada never did that. As long as you, you respect that Nartam knows what he's doing, he has a strategy and a plan, and it's working, and, you know, after he does that, people like him, and they come to the temple, and he, they're so open to the Gita now, and that you have a strategy and plan. You say, no, I'm preaching to these kind of people who come, who want this philosophy straight. You know, they've been cheated by other gurus, and they want to know. And then you guys respect one another. Then it works. There's room. There has to be room for all of that because there's all those different kinds of people. You know? And I think that's where the mistake is, where we don't recognize that and we disrespect. You know, you want to start a, a farm community. You know, it's like women will only be mothers. They'll never do, they'll never give a class, they'll never do anything. You know, that's how it is. And Naratam's thinking, this is crazy. And you're not, no, this is Varnashram. This is the way it's supposed to be. And you will attract people who want that. You will attract all these women and say, yeah, Iskand's too feminist. This is what I always just wanted to be at home, raise kids. This, I'm so glad you're doing this. 
And then other women will say, this is so bad. You're going, you're turning the clocks back. You know, you're, you're not, you're totally out of touch with reality. No, but they're both needed. Because they're different kinds of people that, you know, you have, you have to serve 20 things at the restaurant if you want to attract people. Isn't it? So when you go to the restaurant, you don't tell people, you know, you should eat salad. It's cooked vegetables aren't good, you know, and, and uh, you know, you know, you should be a raw foodist, you know. You can't say that. No, but I can't digest raw. No, no, but you should digest raw. No, but I can't. No, but you should. It doesn't make sense. Right? Like raw food is good. I'm vata. It, I just burp when I eat raw. Unless it's fruit. I can't eat salads and cooked vegetables. It's, it's not good for So, you know, it's like Ayurveda. You know, what's good for you is not good for me. I think that's important. If we just develop respect, then we're fine. And all these, you know, and then we're going to compare. So, you know, he's been preaching last year. You've been preaching last year. Let's look at, let's look at the results. Who actually did something? Right? That ultimately, you can't argue with results. And you can say this is a better way to preach, but you got to show it. And if it's, you know, I never compromised, I preached straight. Well, did you make anybody a devotee? No, but I didn't compromise. So there's a letter like that for Prabhupada. He said, don't compromise, but make it unpalatable to people. And if you don't compromise and no one comes, you're a failure. It's a letter to Bhadra Narayan, something that's, you know, paraphrasing more like that. It's not, it's not a great qualification to preach straight and not attract anybody. It's a great qualification to do both. Or to... a, a to adapt it so they can digest it, but not compromise it. That was the letter, something like that. So that's, okay, so now you're going to show us, right? We're going to have competition between you two. And I'll come back next year and we'll see the results, okay? So Get the, It's necessary. We humility means that I respect everyone as better than myself. How far are we from that as individuals and as a society? If we could just get that, we could attract the whole world because nobody would see that anywhere and humility is attractive. But if we're if we can't work well together, if there's not that level of humility, it's not attractive. I was just hearing this devotee last night speaking about some problems in ISKCON. But there wasn't any humility there. It was just so unattractive. And I was thinking, if he were a professional journalist on a newscast, nobody would watch him. Because it's so, it's just so unbalanced. Unbalanced, unbalanced prejudice, and you're very angry. You imagine like an angry newscaster. You know, so um, humility means that we, you know, I respect his cause, and and he made many good points, but but he made other points which were, it just it was very rajasic, tamasic. It's not gonna, it's not gonna work. We're meant to have a, a sattvic organization, and if you're too rajasic or tamasic, it can't work in the long run. 
That's so. That's where we have a lot of our problems. What's fighting about? What guna is fighting in? It's tamaguna. How far is that from Krishna? That's as far as you can get from Krishna, tamaguna. And we think we're going to have an organization that that manifests the tam, tamasic culture. It's not going to work. It can't work. It can work out there, and everyone can just be in tamagun, you know, and go drink beer after work. Yeah, that'll work for a while, but in our society, it doesn't work. It drives people away, isn't it? So respect is, it's really high. And that's why it's so hard to get it, to have it, because it's so high. And it's so easy to be angry. It doesn't take any effort, right? Easy to be critical, envious, blaming, angry, anybody can do it. But to be humble, oh my God, that's a lot of work, isn't it? But that's what we need. <laughs> what brought you here will keep you here. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Or, um, or the other thing, this is so interesting, the um, very similar thing. The language of the material world is gramyakata, envious, hatred, talk like that. And the language of the spiritual world is Krishnakata. So if you don't, if you decide which language you want to learn, because that's going to determine where you're going to end up. So, you know, you're not going to get back there if you don't learn their language. They won't let you in. You have to speak it. You'll just come back here because this, this is the language of materialism. That's the language you speak. Complaints, criticisms. Yeah, well, you know where you're going. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Go Premanandi.